I am so excited about what God is doing with Courageous Church. And I said it last week, Courageous Church is not a place, it's a people. Someone asked me, are you guys going to be like building a new building? Are you guys looking for space? I said, listen, that's God's deal. He's called me to build great people. And that's our heartbeat, is to see your lives built up, made strong, encouraged, find hope and healing and courage and life, so that all throughout this valley, the people that are in our world can also find it too. And so I'm excited for week number two. Here we are. Last week, I got to share a message called Hope Has a Name, and I believe his name is Jesus. We want everything we do at Courageous Church to be about Jesus. For some of you, you may have come out of churches where you actually never heard the word Jesus. Maybe you spent time talking around Jesus or maybe talking about him, but there's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him. And everything we do needs to be anchored and rooted and centered in the life of Christ because Christ is our hope. The Bible says, and we went over it last week in Colossians 1, 24 through 27, it says this, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And here's the cool part. He actually wants to live and express his life in us. He wants to live in you, which means that he doesn't just want a part of your life. And some of us, we get really good at compartmentalizing our lives. We've got our work life, we've got our gym life, we've got our family life, we've got our party life, we've got our friends life. Oh, and we also have our social media, public profile life. And we present this life and this image, and we invite Jesus to come and be the Lord of all, but in reality, sometimes we end up actually relegating him to one little room in the living space of our heart. And the reality is that Jesus wants to be Lord of all, which means that if you are lacking hope and you're lacking healing and you're lacking courage and you're lacking life, perhaps, just perhaps, maybe what's needed is that you and I would actually yield so that Jesus could have more of our heart, more of our life, more room to express what he has in and through us. And so I believe hope has a name. I believe his name is Jesus. And I believe because of this reality, we can rejoice. And I I brought our attention to Romans chapter 5 last week. And we're going to pick up there again this week. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there, Romans chapter 5. And I just want to highlight a couple verses that we talked about last week so that I bring everybody up to speed. And then we'll move ahead with Romans 3 through 4. But beginning in verse 1 through 2, it says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul says that because of Jesus and this beautiful work, this finished work that he did on the cross for us, we now have peace with God. We're in a, a right relationship with God, and we, we have that, relationship, that right relationship by faith, And that faith gives us access to this grace, this beautiful, unearned, undeserved favor of God on our life in which we can stand, firmly rooted, firmly placed in who Christ is calling us to be. So much so that we can rejoice. Yes, not just when times are good, not just when when times are, are, are happening and you got the world by the tail, but also when times are not so good and you're suffering and you're going through pain, or loss, or doubt, or frustration, or even confusion. And so Paul invites us to rejoice in this hope that we have. 
And we see that affirmed in this scripture, that we can stand in the grace of God and rejoice in hope of this glory of God, which we find in Jesus. And so I believe hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And this week, I want to add to this thought, and I want to push us a little further. I want us to lean in a little deeper into hope and hope's purpose in our life. Beginning in verse 3 through 4, through four Paul picks up, and he says this, not only that, not only the work of the cross and our right relationship with Jesus and access by faith and grace through which we can rejoice, not only all of that, okay, that, that in and of itself would be a pretty good goal for most of our lives, right? If we could just kind of lean in and settle into that, the grace of God, the goodness of God, a life of faith, being established in who Jesus is, rejoicing in that hope. If we could do that, we'd be in a good position, but Paul doesn't stop. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And so right off the bat, we're given a progression. We're given a process, and that process is leading us into a purpose. I'll say it again. We're given a progression we're given a process, and we're given a purpose. And here it is. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Now, I don't know if any of you work out. How many of you love to work out? Not so many hands this time of year. That's scary, guys, because the snow's coming, and I don't know what we're going to do. But here's the deal about working out that I've discovered. Working out is tough, all right? It involves a lot of this thing called pain and suffering. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, some of you like to work out and you're crazy, all right? You guys are freaks. You know what I like to do? I like to eat. Now I got a few amens. I actually work out, I endure pain, and I endure suffering so that I can eat more. How many of you guys were here last week? All right, who had those amazing Oreo cupcakes? Yes, right? A little bit of heaven on earth. That's what I'm talking about. We go through the pain. We go through the suffering. We go through all the trouble of working out so that we can, in, so that we can enjoy the fruit of our suffering, of our labor, of why we work out. It's the same way with hope. We go through pain. We go through suffering so that we can learn to endure. And that endurance becomes a discipline. Hopefully you end up going more than once a month or once a year. You go every week. And that turns into a discipline and a habit. And now you're building endurance. Now you can run a little bit further than you used to be able to run. Now you can lift a little bit more than you used to be able to lift. So that you can get to hope. You see, all of us, we work out so that hopefully we can fit into those skinny jeans. You know what I'm talking about? Hopefully we can wear that dress that we wore when we were in college. Hopefully we're not going to perish from the earth because we take care of ourselves. That's the idea, okay? But there's a process, there's a progression, and there's a purpose for it. None of, none of you go and hurt your bodies just for the sake of it. We have names for those kinds of people, and they belong in insane asylums. So the idea is that just like we see with working out, just like we see with what we struggle with in life, there's a purpose for it. 
And that purpose of hope is doing something in us. It's doing something in you and me. And that's why Paul says that you can rejoice in it. We talked about this last week. You're given the ability to rejoice in something because you know where it's headed. You know that hope widens your gaze to see beyond the temporal, to see into the eternal of what God is wanting to do and bring into the now. That's still out here. So when you first go to the gym, you look at that goal. Man, I wish I could lift 200 pounds. I wish I could run three miles. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. And you're hoping for a particular outcome. And biblical hope comes to us and it says, not only should you hope for that thing, but you, ha- you can actually build your expectation that it will come to pass. And I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But here's a definition that I like for hope. Hope is the expectation that God wants to do good things in and through your life and that he will actually do them. All right, it's, it's expectation, and I like that word, because expectation means that I won't be disappointed. It means I can count on God to come through. I don't have to be disappointed. I don't have to be put to shame because the hope that we have, it's not hype. It's not sensationalism. It's not self-help. It's anchored in the person of Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, who wants to live in you. Listen to what it says here in Romans 5, verse 5. And hope, this hope that we're talking about, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out. It's been poured out through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I love that. Hope that will not put us to shame. Some of us have experienced shame and disappointment and failure and frustration because we put our hope in a hope that actually wasn't built to last. Because we put our hope in a relationship or we put our hope in something that we thought might work out and it didn't. But Jesus will never fail us. That's why he is our hope. Our only lasting hope, the hope of glory that longs to live in and through us through the power of his Holy Spirit, which is the gift that he wants us to know. I believe this gives us permission to get our hopes up. Many of you, you've been through some disappointment, and you've lost the ability to get your hopes up. You've lost the ability to dream because you feel like deep down, if I, if I go there again and I, and I extend my heart again and I get my hopes up, I might not get what I'm hoping or believing for. But Jesus invites us out under the water. He says, come with me. Come follow me. Get your hopes up. I've got good things for you. I just need you to trust me right now. You had the storm. The, the waves are moving, and, the, and, and it's tough, and it's hard, and there's chaos, and there's conflict, and there's craziness. But just keep coming. Just keep following me. Just keep trusting me. Because hope's going to lead you to something good. I've got good things for you. Romans says that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And so if you've been called according to the purpose of God, the purpose of hope, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and you feel the compelling pull, the magnetism of his spirit saying, follow me, trust me, serve me, then I want to tell you, hope is on its way. Hope is on its way, and you can get your hopes up again. For some of you, you've gone through a really, really tough breakup. Maybe you got divorced, and it felt like, man, I could never know love again. Or I gave that person my heart, and they broke it. Jesus says, come on, come with me. 
I'm with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to walk with you through this storm, through this, through this thing that feels like suffering right now. I got something good for you on the other side of that. That's what hope's expectation does. It's the expectation that God wants to do good things. And not only that God wants to, but that he actually will do them. I think some of us intellectually ascend to the idea that God does want to do good things. I think most of us in this room, if we were being honest, would say, hey, we believe God is good. And for the most part, I believe that he's got good plans and a good purpose for my life. But it's one thing to believe that God might want to do good things. It's another thing to believe that God will do good things. And I will say to us, he's not only able, but he's willing. God is more than able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask, think, hope, or imagine. So the limitations that you place on God, they don't frustrate God. And they don't deter him from what he wants to do in your life. Because he's able to do beyond that. Exceedingly abundantly, immeasurably more, one translation says. And here's the cool part. How does he do it? According to his great power, the Holy Spirit, that's at work within us. A lot of us stop at the exceedingly abundantly beyond part. And we're like, yeah, God can do it. I'm believing for good things. Hope's coming. But we forget the most important part is that he actually wants to do that in and through his power in you. Once again, Christ, the hope of glory in us. He wants to work it in and through you through your life, through your relationship with him. That's how he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond. You know, if God goes out there and he, and, he, and, he, and he creates something new, we all will look at it and go, wow, that's pretty cool, God, that's amazing. If God were to go out there and just, and just all of a sudden shake the heavens and a bunch of stars just fell, we'd be like, wow, that's incredible. But when God grabs a hold of a human heart and he puts his Holy Spirit in it, and he makes it his dwelling place, his residence. And he begins to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask, hope, think, or imagine. That's when all of us stand back and go, whoa. Because all of us know the wickedness of our own heart. We know how lost we were. We know how broken we can be. And to see God take our brokenness and our fragility and to not be intimidated or deterred by it, but to actually work in the midst of it. That's how good God is, and that's how good hope wants to be in our lives. And so here's my one and only point today. Hope has a purpose. I believe hope has a definitive purpose within our lives. It's not only the expectation that God will do good things in us because of Christ, but also that God will do them through us. That is, if we're willing to trust him with the process. Here's what Romans 15 says. Verse 13 says, skipping ahead a few chapters, in verse 13 it says, May the God of hope, that's who we're talking about today, fill you with all joy and all peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, there it is again, this gift that God wants to give us, you may abound in hope. Hope's purpose is to fill you with joy. It's to fill you with peace so that you can actually abound with even more hope. There are probably other purposes and reasons for it, but I just want to focus on these three today. These three, what I'm calling expressions of hope's purpose in your life. And so let's start with the first one. Hope's purpose to fill you with joy. Joy, as I've defined it, is the intentional ability to delight yourself in Jesus and in his presence within your life. Did you know that joy is a choice? 
there is a huge difference between joy and happiness. You see, this country was built on the pursuit of happiness. The problem with happiness is that it's fleeting. Once you've got it, it slips out of your hands. And if things are going good for you, then guess what? You're happy. But what happens the moment things begin to change? What happens when pain and suffering and turmoil and conflict comes to your life? Well, my happiness is gone because that person, you know, doesn't love me the way I need to be loved. They don't know my love language. (laughs) Things didn't work out the way I wanted them to. So I can't be happy. See, happiness comes from the word happenstance. So whatever happens to you, both good and bad, determines your mood, determines what you walk in. But joy, on the other hand, joy is a choice. It's a radical choice to intentionally lean into the goodness of God and expect that he's going to do good things and draw from him. The, The scriptures say that the joy of the Lord is actually our strength. And so it gives us the ability to delight ourselves further in Jesus and in his presence, in his strength, in his power, in his nature, in who he is and wants to express himself in you to be. And so that's one purpose for for hope. The next one, number two, hope's purpose is to fill you with peace. Peace is that inner harmony, that shalom, that rest that's found in Jesus. Once again, it's connected to Jesus and his presence in your life. A lot of us, we, we pray prayers God deliver us from, when in reality we should be asking God to give us peace in the midst of Jesus says, the peace I give you, the world can't take it away. So no matter what comes at you, life's storms and troubles, Jesus said, you're going to have them. But be of good cheer. Choose joy. Because I've overcome it. I've already overcome what you're walking through. Therefore, the peace I give you is a peace that you can know right in the midst of when all hell breaks loose. When it seems like hope is lost, Jesus says, no, 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 I got peace for you. And you can know this peace. You can know this harmony, this balance, this rest that only comes from being in the presence of the Lord and having his presence saturate your life. And so number three today, hope's purpose is to fill you with more hope. And I love that he says here in Romans that he wants us to abound that he wants it to abound. The word abound comes from the Latin word, which means to literally overflow, to just gush. When's the last time you felt like your life was just gushing with hope? I'll be honest. I don't always feel like a gusher. (laughs) For those that know me, they're like, yeah, you know, you're, you're a good guy, but man, sometimes you could like, you could like step it up a notch, you know? And, and for many of us, we, we look at this and we read this and we go, could it, be true? Could that actually be a reality for me? I mean, good if it's, if it's for them, good if it's for, for, for her, but could that be a reality that we could know? Well, Paul seems to think so. God seems to think so. The Holy Spirit seems to think so. That if we would grab a hold of hope and hope's purpose, we would know peace and we would know joy so that we could abound, overflow, gush with even more hope. Hope brings us full circle into more hope, which leads us into more hope, which leads us into more hope, because it's intended to abound over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. He wants hope to abound in us. Could you imagine 
what our lives would look like if we actually lived this, if we actually could grab a hold of this, walking in tomorrow morning into the workplace and people being like, whoa, you're abounding with hope. Your life is full of peace. Your life has all this joy. Like, can you let me in on the secret? Could you imagine the impact that we would have in this valley if all of us just began to grab a hold of hope and not let go? Which leads us to the next scripture. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 through 18. Here it is. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his, here's that word, purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement, and here it is, to hold fast to the hope that's set before us. God, the God of hope, wants to show you convincingly of his purpose, so much so that he guarantees it with an oath by which it's impossible for him to lie, and then backs it up with the life of his son, Jesus. That's how good God is, and that's how much he wants us to know hope. When's the last time you ever actually bought into a guarantee and it worked out? (laughs) There used to be a commercial on years ago, maybe I'm dating myself, and I don't even remember what it is, but I just remember the phrase, I'll guarantee it. And it was like a, a, a car salesman or like a mattress salesman basically telling the audience that he would guarantee the greatest, lowest price. But Jesus is no car salesman. And God's no mattress distributor. When God guarantees something, it's going to happen. You can put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus that if God is going to guarantee it with his, the life of his own son, it's going to happen. You can trust the purpose of hope in your life, and you can be encouraged. And that's really my heartbeat today, church. It's to encourage you. Wherever you are, Maybe you don't know this reality, and that's okay. But it's to encourage you to press in, to hold fast. That word in the Greek means to cling to, to like grab a hold of. Now, I've got kids. I've got three kids. And when they were very little, they were very clingy. And they used to grab my leg. And one of the fun games that we would play is I would walk across the living room, and I would just like drag them as they clung to my leg. And it was fun. But, you know, it, it had me thinking, I think that is how God wants us to cling to hope, to hold fast to it in such a way that we're clinging to Jesus. And we say to Jesus, I'm not gonna let go. I'm not gonna let go of you. I'm not gonna let go of hope. I'm not gonna let go of the good things that you have promised me in your word. No matter what you go through, whether it's hardship or whether it's abundance and overflow, you're not gonna let go. And that was kind of the heart of of Jacob. We see that in in Genesis. Jacob was this like rascal of a dude. And he just wrestled with God and he said, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And he just clung. He just clung. That's the picture I want us to have of how you and I are called to cling to hope. That we just hold on to it no matter what. Yeah, I know I was let down in the past. Yeah, I know I was disappointed before. Yeah, I know that person stabbed me in the back and they said they were my friend. They said they were my lover, but then they hurt me. But you know what? I'm going to cling to Jesus. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold fast. And I'm not going to let go. When we lean into that reality, when we begin to wake up each day and make a decision 
to cling to hope because it is a decision. If you're waiting for God to do this for you, you might be waiting a while. He actually is waiting on you to activate your faith and to step out and say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you today. I'm going to cling to hope. I'm going to get my hopes up. I'm going to make a decision to hold on to Jesus no matter what that boss says who just gets in my ear and cusses at me all day. No matter what happens when people don't say the things that I want to hear, I'm going to cling to hope. I'm going to hold fast to it. And I believe that as we do that, we're going to see this life of Christ that's within us also rise upon us. And people are going to look at your life, and they're going to look at my life, and they're going to say, how is it possible that you know this joy? How is it possible that you know this peace? How is it possible that your life is so hopeful? That you're just literally walking through life looking for reasons to get your hopes up. How is this possible? And then you get to say, well, I'm holding fast to Jesus. I'm clinging to Jesus. It's not all fun and games. It's not all unicorns and rainbows. It's tough. But I'm holding fast to Jesus. And here's the cool part. The truth is is that when we do that, he's actually holding even more fast to us. He's clinging even harder, and he's holding on even stronger, so much so that when we stumble, he's still got us by the hand. So much so that when we fall, and we will, some of you have joined the club, you trip, you make a mistake, your words get in the way of what you wanted to say, you made a fool out of yourself, it doesn't matter. He's got you by the hand, and he's going to walk with you, and he's going to keep staying with you, and he's not going to let you go. That's actually the good news of the gospel, that God would hold on to us. Not that we would have the ability and the strength to do it, but that he would grab a hold and not let go. And so he puts this choice before us. And all throughout the scriptures we see this. You can choose life or death. You could choose blessing or cursing. You could choose get your hopes up or live in despair, doubt, frustration, confusion. Choose to believe the negative. When God's put before you a better report and a better answer. And so I believe holding fast to Jesus doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. It doesn't mean that you've got to live some highlight real life. Some of us, we, we put our highlight reel out there for everybody to see. And then we're like, man, I could never measure up to that guy. He's got two Ferraris, you know. And I couldn't measure up to her because, she, man, she's got her Etsy store all figured out. And it's like so cool. And man, that guy takes great pictures. He must have like the best photographer like around all the time. And we look at our highlight reel and we, we judge others' externals and then we weigh them internally and we feel like we can't measure up. Holding fast to Jesus doesn't mean that you're going to live a high right, highlight reel life. And it doesn't mean that trials and tribulations aren't going to come. The scriptures are clear. They will come. The question is what you and I do when they come. Can we count it all joy, like James says? When trials and tribulations come, can we make a choice to rejoice even when it's painful and tough? Well, if you have hope, you can. If you're holding fast to Jesus, you can. And so I want to invite you today, as you reflect this week on this message and what we're doing here, I want you to think about the ways in which you can cling to hope. When someone comes along who's just negative, I want you to say, you know what? I'm going to choose to believe I choose to get my hopes up. Why? Because the scriptures tell me that God guarantees his promises and that he will see me through and that if I would hold fast to hope, I would actually find myself 
being held on to by the hand of a greater, more powerful Lord and Savior. And that this reality could be my every day. And that would be my encouragement to you as you lean into that, as you think about it, as you pray about that, as you look at all the things within your world that maybe don't make sense, or maybe they do, that you would see hope's purpose. The purpose of why he wants to fill you with hope to lead you forward into his future. I believe Jesus does impossible things. And I believe that when we begin to believe the God of the impossible, we begin to know the reality of the impossible. When we begin to get our hopes up and we begin to believe, not in ourselves, this isn't about self-help or hype. If we could just put together the best version of us and muster up the strength and courage, no. But if we begin to believe and look to the author of the impossible, Jesus says, there's nothing that's impossible for me. So my question is, why do we limit God? Why do we place those limitations on ourselves? Oh, I could never do that because, oh, I could never hope or believe for that because. And we, we, we cut ourselves down at the knees before we've even come out of the chute to enter into the race. And Jesus says, no, 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 come on. Come with me. You walked on water? That was cool, but I got more for you. It's interesting in that story. And as we close, I'll invite our team to come. In that story, Peter walks on water, and we all applaud, like, wow, amazing. Wow, what faith. And it was. But Jesus isn't actually impressed with that. By the time they get back to the boat, he's like, why'd you doubt? What that tells me, that Jesus' baseline for the things that are impossible and ours are completely different. They're completely different. And so he says, yeah, that's awesome. You walked on water. You trusted me. You stepped out of the boat. That's great. But why'd you doubt? I think the problem isn't aiming high. It's not aiming high enough. The problem isn't belief. It's not believing radical enough. The problem isn't prayer. It's, it's not praying audaciously enough. We don't put enough demand upon the impossibility of what God can and will do within our life. But hope says, come on, let's believe together. Let's believe for the impossible. Let's believe that God will and still can heal. Let's see that happen in our generation, in our lifetime. Let's believe that the people that we know within that community that sometimes is opposed to the very faith in Jesus we profess can and will come to know this hope that we have. Let's believe for the impossible, for generational things to be broken, for the trajectories of people's lives to be changed. Hope says you've got permission to dream. You've got permission to believe. You've got permission to go big. There's nothing impressive about small faith. There's nothing impressive about it. It's not to say it can't still be effective. But you know what's impressive? When someone who's been beat down 21 times gets up 22 times and says, I'm believing God for more. When someone who's been through the shipwrecks of life and loss and pain and tragedy says, you know what? I'm still believing God for good things. When someone who's been told that they'll never be well lives 33 years and then grabs a hold of Jesus's garment and says, you know what? For 33 years, I've been hoping and I've been holding fast that Messiah would come. And Jesus turns around and goes, wow. What faith. 
what, what faith? Because see, hope ultimately leads us into faith, into a life of believing. And that's why you and I have permission to get our hopes up and to believe God for more, to believe God for impossible things. I don't know what impossible thing you're believing God for today. But I would encourage us to think about it. What thing in my life seems so far out of reach, God, that you're wanting me to get my hopes up for? Maybe it's a better job. Maybe it's a better spouse. Maybe it's a better relationship. Maybe it's, a, it, maybe it's something entirely else, an other. I don't know what that is for you. I'm not here to tell you that today. But I want to encourage you to get your hopes up because God wants your life to be full of hope.